Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Welcome to the Defender Bible Study Podcast. Today is Monday, May 29th, 2023. My name is Chris Johnson. I serve as the Vice President of Church Partnerships and Government Affairs at Lifeline Children's Services. We're excited to be continuing our look at 1 Timothy uh, this week. This week we're in chapter number 5 uh, as we're continuing to walk through this letter that uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, who he loved dearly, uh, really just kind of focusing, addressing uh, Timothy regarding how we should behave within the church, what life within the church looks like. He's dealt with the qualifications of church leaders, both the elders as well as the deacons, and, and even talking about uh, their wives or deaconesses and those roles there. There. Uh, he's talked about the importance of, of doctrinal purity, making sure that uh, we're holding true to the things of God's word. He shared how that our lives flow out of this proper worldview, that this proper understanding of, of scripture and of truth. And then in, in the chapter four, really in there, he stressed the importance of, of preaching and teaching the truth, making sure that, uh, that Timothy and those that were preaching and teaching in the, in the church there at Ephesus, that they were, were teaching the truth of God's word, that they were, uh, teaching it, but then also living it out. And so now here in chapter number five, he's going to kind of continue to discuss, uh, really how to properly care for and how to support, uh, additional populations within the body of Christ. Uh, part of this admonition is going to be dealing with how to confront different groups within the church and um, different, uh, how, to, how, to, how to call out sometimes when maybe those ones, those individuals are not quite living out this biblical worldview. And so sometimes because of sin, confrontation is necessary. And so he talks about how to deal properly uh, with that and how to approach these various uh, groups uh, to be able to have these discussions and be able to talk about, again, sticking true to biblical fidelity, preaching, teaching, and then walking out of scriptural truth. And so as we look at this, we're going to look, first of all, we see in chapter five here that he's talking about and dealing with uh, really the, the picture of the church as family, picture of the church as family. In verses one and two, we, we see this very clearly. It says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Now, again, we know that the chapter breakdowns that we have in our modern scriptures today were not there in the original writing. So really, this is just kind of a continuing thought as he's been talking about living a life that is an example of, of truth and guarding truth and, and, and preaching and teaching truth and living truth. He then moves into this understanding of recognizing this picture of the church uh, as a family. Uh, you know, throughout scripture, there are several different expressions for the relationship that we share between believers. Uh, it's called a congregation. It's called an assembly, uh, a body that's kind of fit together that has different each each part having a different role. Uh, we're addressed as a holy nation with common citizenship. But here, Paul likens the church to a family, and and I love this picture. I love the picture of uh, the body of Christ, the church of Christ, being a family uh, together. There's several things to, to note about family. Uh, family is there for one another. Family is there to to support one another. Family protects one another. Uh, when you're when you're going through different things, I remember uh, growing up. My brother and I. There were times I have a brother that's just a couple years younger than me, and. 
there were times that we might disagree and we might see things differently and we might have our own disagreements and our own uh, maybe even arguments and maybe even even some fights here and there. But when it ever came a time where someone else would try to harm my brother or speak out against my brother or do something against him, man, you, we, we were unified in those times. Uh, part of my role as a big brother was to protect my younger brother, protect my sister, my young, my other brother as well, uh, to protect the family. And so family protects one another. Family stands up for one another. And man, we would do well as the body of Christ to take that admonition today and really to, to see ourselves as protectors of one another. So many times we find ourselves in struggles and even in a public sense, speaking out against brothers and sisters in Christ when it's when it's not necessary. And and so a family protects one another. Family also loves and supports one another. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35, that, that the way that other people are going to know that we're his disciples is by our love one for another. And so family is called to love one another, to act in the best interest of each other. Uh, family indicates identity. It, it kind of helps us know who we are. We are we are a, a part of something bigger than us, and and we we identify as the family of God, as brothers and sisters, as joint heirs with Christ. Um, we also know that family provides security. It's that again that place to belong, and everyone in this world is is looking to try to figure out where they belong and where to find their standing. And family uh, is a place that provides that, and we're able to 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 know where we belong because we're a part of the family. And so Paul is, is, is really just admonishing Timothy and, and the church here to, to treat one another like family, even when we sometimes have to confront sin and sometimes have to speak out against things that are, that are not going uh, appropriately and not going properly, that even in those times we're to approach those conversations as family. We're to approach those conversations with that love and respect and care uh, and heart for one another as family. And so he, he starts off here by, by really kind of speaking on how to uh, how to speak into the life of an older man. And he says here, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. So Paul is admonishing Timothy and the church to treat older men like fathers. And here there's a distinction now, and it's important for us to know there is a distinction between older man and, and an elder in the church. Uh, some translations actually use the word elder here, but Paul's not referring to someone who has the office of an elder. He's going to address that later in the chapter. When we get to the to the end of the chapter, verses 17 through uh, 25, he's going to talk about how to address the elders within the church, speaking of the church leaders. Here he's talking about those who are older in age, those who are older in wisdom, those who are older in in, in, in later stages of life. And so the key here, what Paul is, is encouraging here is that we treat those, that we approach older men with respect. There's an idea of respect and honor here. When we look at, at, at saying that we treat older men as fathers, that we're talking about this idea of showing respect to them. And so when there are times when sometimes we maybe must confront them uh, for certain things, that we do so with a with a spirit of respect and with a spirit of honor, and that we treat them in, in the right way, not coming with, with an accusatory voice or a rebuking voice, but instead one that, that honors their position and treats them with respect. He then says to treat younger men as brothers, younger men as brothers. And this carries that idea of humility and meekness. 
again, recognizing our own needs, but being united and, and taking up for one another around others, recognizing that uh, that we treat each other like brothers. Uh, there's there's a sense of friendship. There's a sense of, of of coming together and again doing life not always for what's best for me, but what's best for those those whom I love. Um, and so, really, that's that's the idea here that we treat uh, younger men that we treat them as brothers that we have that that brotherly love, that brotherly relationship. And then he goes on and says, uh, older women as mothers, older women as mothers. And the word that kind of comes to mind here as I think about how to approach a mother is with gentleness, right? We, we approach a mother with, with love and appreciation. And there's this, this idea of gentleness and, and coming into that relationship with gratitude and thankfulness. I, I know with my own mother, I, um, and I love what she has done for me and she's cared so well for me throughout my life. And so I would not approach her with harshness. I would not, it would not be appropriate for me to approach her with a sense of condemnation and beating her down. But instead I approach her with gentleness and with a love and a care and an appreciation for how she has poured into my life and what she's done for me. And so Paul is telling Timothy here within the body of Christ that we ought to do the same as we look at older women within the church, that we approach them with, with gentleness and, and as a mother who is Cared well uh, for us and for others. And then finally, he says, younger women as sisters in all purity. So with that in all purity gives the idea that we would approach the younger women within the church as we would approach our sister. And there's a sense of, of guarding and protecting their purity and making sure that, that they are being honored and, and reverenced and respected. And so as we as we interact with, with women in the church, we as, as men ought to interact with them with, a, with an idea and understanding, a sense of, again, protecting their purity and not seeking to do anything that would that would cause reproach against them or cause a blemish on their character. Uh, and even as, as women interact, younger women interact with each other, um, that they would do so in a way that is healthy, in a way that is supportive, in a way that, that pushes toward godliness and toward sincerity and toward uh, towards holiness, that 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 being set apart, that being walking in purity and walking in truth. And so it's important that we recognize this role of family within the body of Christ, that even when there are times that we've got to hold family accountable, that we do so with the proper respect and the proper love and the proper care. Uh, we must live with one another in a way that provides care, that provides support, and, and truly viewing each other and viewing other Christ followers as family. And, and by viewing other Christ followers as family, this helps us stay pure, and it changes the way that we address each other and the way that we interact with one another. So the first couple of verses here of chapter 5, we see the picture of the church as family. As we then look at verses 3 through 16, we're going to see the priority of caring for widows within the church, the priority of caring for widows. And so Paul now turns his attention to this idea of widow care in verses 3 through 16. And so I'm going to read this passage together, and you follow along, if you will, as we look at, at what Paul has to say. He says, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own husband and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for her relative, his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation of good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So Paul now turns his attention to, to really how the church is to address and care for uh, the widows within the body of Christ. Throughout Scripture, over and over again, we have seen it's very clear that, that God's people are to care for widows. Uh, we often see the term widow partner together with the orphan, the orphan and the widow. We see it partner together with the stranger and the sojourner. And so there is this sense, this understanding of these vulnerable populations of, of which widows are a part, that, that, that is part of God's people to care well for women who find themselves in these situations. Here's just a few scriptures throughout the uh, the Old Testament that, that deal with this. Exodus 22, 21 and 22. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. Psalm 146, 9. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Isaiah 117. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Zechariah 7.10, do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Of course, we all know in the New Testament, we see this throughout Scripture as well. In James 1.27, we know this verse well in our, in our ministry, religion, that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We rightly put our focus on orphans because that is our calling. It also must admonish churches to care well for widows as well. Our, our ministry focuses on the, the orphan and the, the care for that. But if we aren't faithful to the, if we're faithful to the word, we also will encourage churches not only to care for children who have been separated from family, but also to care for women who have been separated from their family as well. And I think the reason we see these terms orphan and widow listed together so often uh, is because in the day Days of, of God's word, the days the Bible is written, orphans and widows, they literally had no standing within society. They Their family situation had been broken. And so because they weren't a part of a family, they had no one to speak up for them. They, they had no voice. 
The, the word widow, the Greek word for widow is the word kera. Uh, it literally means a woman with a deficiency or something lacking. It's a sense of being robbed. Something is being taken and uh, taken from her. Uh, and of course, we know that it's that sense of family and that support and care and provision that comes from being a part of a family. It, it means a woman who has suffered loss, who has been left alone. Someone who no longer uh, has a husband to care for, provide for, or lead her. You could have found yourself in this position, and Kara really could speak to uh, a woman who, who is in this place of loss because of death, absolutely, but also because of divorce or because of abandonment. And so, again, it's a woman that finds herself in place where her family relationships have been broken, and she no longer has anyone to protect her and stand up for her. And so God's Word is telling us, and Paul is admonishing Timothy here, that this is a role that is to be taken on by the body of Christ, by the church. We know that this has been an issue really from the very beginning of the church. When we see the, the beginning of the, of the church in the, in the early parts of the book of Acts, right, it doesn't take but just a couple chapters to get to Acts chapter 6. And we see that there's a huge division that has arisen and that it's centered around the care of the widows. It's centered around the church and their role and responsibility to care for widowed women. In Acts chapter 6, we know this is the, the calling of the first deacons. And the reason the deacons were needed was there was division arising around the care of the widows. In Acts chapter 6, it says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, so the church was growing and becoming bigger, the, the family of God was increasing, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the idea here is that there were these uh, Hebrew believers, so Jewish believers that were a part of the church of Jerusalem, a part of that that kind of that that core. But then there also were these these Greek believers that were coming to know the Lord, and and so there were the Hellenists that were also a part of the church, and so uh, they were they were saying, hey, we're taking care of some widow women, but not others. And so we need to make sure that we're being equitable in how that we care for these women within the within the church. Uh, and so because this was happening, it, it took such priority that the, the apostles came together and they said, hey, we've got to do something about this. It's, it's not right that these are being neglected. We know that our primary role is to preach the word and to study and pray and, and, and share the word of God. But at the same time, we cannot ignore the needs of the widows within the church. And so they devised a plan through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to care for them. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brother, Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Permanus, and Nicholas, a, pros a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So the idea here is the understanding is that this ministry to widows was so important that in doing this well and doing this right, 
the gospel would go forth. The church would continue to grow. The church was honoring the Lord and honoring their responsibilities. And it was so important that the church chose out holy men, righteous men, godly men that would oversee and make sure that the widows were being cared for properly. So this has always been an issue where his responsibility has been placed on the church. And Paul says that there in the beginning of verse number three, that widows are to be treated with honor, with honor. The word honor here, it's the Greek word tamao. It means to fix a valuation upon, to, to value, respect, and revere. So it is saying, I want you to see the widows within your church, and I want you to place great value on them. You treat them with honor. You revere them. You respect them. You recognize the value that they bring to the church, but the value that they are, the, the, the great worth that they carry, and the value that they are to the body of Christ and ultimately to the heart of God. So he is making sure that they are being cared for. Now, here at the beginning of this conversation around widows, he also gives some clarity, and he wants to define uh, who those women are who are truly widows. And, and ultimately, what he is saying about it is, is, is a woman is truly a widow if she truly has no family to care for her. He, he says here that if she has children, if she has grandchildren, let them first show their love and concern to their own household. Uh, he is saying that the church is not to take the place of the family. The church is not to take the role of the family when there is family there. We know that, that God's plan and design is to put children, to put individuals, women, put them, again, he said there in Psalms that he puts the solitary in a home, in families. And so that's part of God's plan. God's design is that that family would care for one another. And so that children would honor their parents. Grandchildren would, would honor their, their grandparents. And so the primary role, the primary caregivers is the, the, the children that are still alive, the family that is still alive. And so he's distinguishing that. If, if a widow has family, then that family is to care for her, is to take care of her. He gives a few reasons why that is the case. In verse number four, he says, this is pleasing in the sight of God. The family is to care for the widow because this pleases God. Uh, he is pleased when people carry out their God-given roles and responsibilities. In verse number eight, he says that, that he who doesn't do this has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So he says that when the family cares well for the widow, then it reveals the faith of that family. If the family is not willing to step up and provide for the widow, then, then they're worse than an unbeliever. They're worse than an infidel. Here in our ministry at Lifeline, we have a number of our staff members that are caring well for older parents or caring well for uh, widows in their in their community. And, and that that's such a good thing. It's such an honorable thing uh, to do. We have some that, that are doing so a great sacrifice. Um, I've seen this modeled in my own life. My, my dad, I remember when I was a teenager, my grandfather had had several strokes and uh, my dad and his brothers and sister, they all cared so well for him. I saw them step in and, and provide support and help for him. Uh, even now, my mom and dad are kind of in the later stages of their life and, and, and they've kind of moved back to our hometown. One of the primary reasons is so that my mom can care well for her mother. Uh, my grandmother is in her, in her early 90s now and my mom daily, I call her just about every day and what, what, what are you doing today, mom? She's up taking care of Nanny. I'm taking her to, to some doctor's appointments or I'm going and making sure that she's got her needs met. And so um, it brings honor and glory to the Lord when the family cares well for the widow, for those who are older and those not able to care for themselves. But also when the family cares for the widow, it doesn't burden the church and it frees up additional resources for the church to use for those who truly are in need. 
Verse number 16, let the church not be burdened so that we may care for those who are truly widows. So we see this call for the church to recognize when a, uh, a woman has been separated from family and she has no family to care for her. If she has family, the family is to care for her. But if not, then it's the role and responsibility of the church to step into her lives. So what then should be evident in the widow's life? In verses five through seven, he kind of gives some, some indicators of, of who these women are that the church should be caring for. Uh, it says that her hope is in God. This tells us that her trust and her confidence is in the Lord. Again, she is looking to the Lord for her strength and for her sustenance. She is hoping in God and the way that the Lord is answering her prayer and meeting her need is by using the church to do so. It tells us that she's a prayer warrior. It says prayer warrior. It says that her, that her supplications are lifted night and day, that she is praying and she is seeking uh, the Lord's direction. She is seeking God to work. It says that she isn't self-indulgent. She doesn't live in excess or live in a wasteful way. Uh, she's not living over the top where she's more concerned about her own physical needs or the way that she presents herself. She's not self-indulgent. So again, she's going to be a good steward of the resources that the church is providing for her. And as the church seeks to care for her and meet her needs, she is, is receiving that with appreciation and being a good steward of how the church cares well for her. And then she says, says that she is without reproach that she lives without reproach. Uh, we've seen this kind of in the qualifications of the elder and of the deacon and other places, and it carries the idea of being blameless, uh, living in such a way that no accusations stick, that when people look at your life and they point their finger, that uh, if, if, they, if they accuse you of something, that you've lived in such a way to where that your reputation is one, that you're not going to succumb to uh, false accusations and that people can't hurl stones at you and throw rocks at you because your, your life and your testimony has been lived in a way that is above reproach, in a way that is blameless. He then in verses 9 through 16 kind of describes um, the role that the widows are then able to play in the church. There's this idea that widows are being cared for by the church, that those widows who are being cared for will then have a desire, a strong desire to give back, and that they'll want to serve the church family as well. He uses here in, in verse number nine, he talks about this idea of being enrolled. Uh, and so he's going to kind of list out who is able to be enrolled and who is not able to be enrolled. And this word enrolled here, it has a couple different implications. In one sense, it means those who are under the care of the church. So it's kind of like the church is kind of keeping a list of who are those widows within our church family that we need to be caring for. And so when he speaks of enrolled, he's talking about who are those that have been identified, that we recognize that there is a need, that they are true widows, and that we've kind of signed them up for care of the church. But then he also is talking about not only those who are enrolled for care, but those who are enrolled to provide care. And so again, there is this sense of these women who are being provided for and cared for, they have a desire to serve within the church. They have a desire to serve in some capacity in the church. So he's going to kind of lay out who are those women, uh, uh, that, that we ought to be caring for, but then also who are those women that have the opportunity now to serve and to give of their lives and to engage in the life of the church. And a distinguishment is made between older widows and younger widows. He gives the, the indication of 60 years of age. Now, that Paul is not saying here that, you know, if you're 59 years and a half, sorry, you got to wait six more months. Uh, he's not saying, he's not indicating that, but what he's kind of referring to are kind of these seasons of life. He's not 
not saying that you can't get care until you're 60, because we know that we're to care for all widows. He is not saying that you can't serve until you're 60, because we know that there is a role to play for younger widows within the church as well. And they have a role to contribute, uh, a way to contribute to the body of Christ. But he's dealing with these seasons of life. Um, when this passage was written, the, the time in Ephesus there, 60 was kind of the age where, again, we started seeing the older uh, generation moving into a time of being those wisdom carriers, those ones that were were pouring into others and sharing the, the wisdom that they had gained. And so it was kind of a, a, a breaking a time of time of moving kind of from one role, one season of life to another. So Paul is just really kind of indicating and he's saying here that, uh, that there are different seasons here. Older women are, are beyond child-rearing age. Older women are in a place where um, where they most often will have more time and more availability. They'll be able to give more to the church. Whereas younger widows, they often still have a desire to remarry. There's still a desire within them to, to raise children, to, uh, to to be busy about those things. And so so Paul is kind of saying that that he doesn't want to set them up for failure, that they would they get committed to something, but then that they would need to walk away from that because their situation changed because they remarried or because of the needs of their children or because of new children coming along after they had remarried. And so there's this idea that in the seasons of life, um, that the older widows are going to have more opportunity to give. And we've seen that, right? I know in my church growing up, in the church where I serve now, uh, I know of, of, of older women that are able to uh, give of themselves and they have time and flexibility and, and great wisdom to share. And man, what how, how we treasure those women who are, are giving and serving. Uh, and we see younger women that are serving as well, but yet at the same time, their primary focus is to their family, to their children, and to their husbands. And so we see here that that all of these women have gifts, they have talents that are important to the body of Christ, and they all have the opportunity to serve the Lord. It must be given the opportunity to serve the Lord well, and the church must wrap around them. However, there are special opportunities for the older widows. They were perfect candidates to be those Titus 2 women, as Paul wrote to Titus about Titus chapter 2, 3 through 5. He says, older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-control, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So we see the older women, the older widows have the opportunity to pour into and train the younger women. And so with this in mind, Paul describes uh, in these verses 9 through 16 kind of what uh, the lives of these ladies should look like. He says that they should be the, the wife of one husband. Again, the same kind of idea with elders and deacons. And so here it means a one-man woman, a woman that was devoted to her husband, that she was, was devoted to him and cared for him well. And she wasn't someone that left the affections or gave the affections that were due to her husband to other men. And so she had that right relationship. She has the reputation of good works. It's known that, that she does good deeds, that she serves well. It's, she's a, she was a faithful parent. She has poured into her children and she cared well for them. Uh, she shows hospitality. She opens up her home and her heart, and she's willing to, to pour into others. She washes the feet of the saints. Man, what a beautiful picture of someone who is a servant. These women who are used greatly of God within the church, they are servants that are willing to serve one another, willing to do even, even what is difficult and what is maybe considered dirty or considered uh, something that should be looked down upon. They're willing to, to wash the feet of the saints. They serve others. They care for the afflicted. Uh, these women we see in the church that, that are compassionate and caring and provide for the needs of others. 
They have a devotion to doing what is right. They are committed to the truth of God's word. They're committed to walking in integrity and walking with a way that honors the Lord. They're not lazy or useless. It says there that they're not uh, that they're not slothful. They're not lazy, but they're they're using their time well, uh, and they serve others well. They're not a gossip or busybody. <laughs> I love that word busybody, which literally means getting into everybody else's business. Uh, these women that serve faithfully, um, they don't go around talking bad about others. They don't go around trying to to get the latest gossip and the latest dirt on others. They're not trying to get into other people's business. As I even studied this passage and read through this this list, even even as I'm sharing this with you today, my mind immediately goes back to women who have poured into my life over the years, women that I have seen faithfully serve the Lord, women within uh, the church now that I see that are constantly giving of themselves been blessed to have some of these women even in my own family and and uh, in our church family and and we as as the as the body of Christ as the family of God we must treat these women with honor respect and reverence we must serve them well care for them provide for them but then also give praise to the Lord for the way that they serve may we learn from them and be beneficiaries of their their goodness and their kindness and their ministry within the church. Paul reminds us in these verses that we are family, that we must love one another, that we must hold each other accountable, but we must do so with respect, with humility, with meekness and gentleness, with purity. But then also we must seek to care well for the widows among us by supporting them and by providing for them. Uh, and that these widows would be used greatly of the Lord to encourage the body of Christ, to support God's work as they walk with God and pour into the lives of others. Next time we're together, we'll look at the last few verses of chapter five here, and we're going to again be looking at how to uh, deal with and how to support and help uh, the elders, those who are in church leadership. But let's go to the Lord in prayer now and uh, conclude our time together. Our, pro our prayer focus this week is on foster care adoption. And so let's lift up the more than 100,000 kids across our country uh, that are in foster care that are needing uh, families, forever families to call their own. Let's go to them. Go to the Lord in prayer for them. Dearly Father, God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the way that your word gives us guidance and direction and wisdom and shows us the way that you would have us to walk, a way that, that brings glory and honor to you and points to others to you as well. Lord, as we hear these words today, God, may we take them to heart. May we care for one another as family. May we provide for the needs uh, of those who are lacking within our church families, uh, within your body. Lord, we know that, that oftentimes there are women in our communities that find themselves in that situation, women who find themselves separated from family. And may we care well for them as well, God. May we come around them and provide for them. And I thank you for the heart of, of the ministry of Lifeline that seeks to do that. But Lord, we know that there are children who are separated from family as well. Sometimes that's temporary. Sometimes that that because of of, of trauma and distress and abuse. Sometimes that family relationship has to be severed completely. And so we know that that there are children here in our communities, Lord, that find themselves in foster care, separated from their families. Their parents' rights have been terminated. We see that around the world as well, God, as we see orphans who have been left without a family. And God, we know that your desire is to put these children, these young people, Lord, into families, into homes. And so, God, we pray for uh, the more than 100,000 children here in America that 
need a family. Uh, we pray for the countless others around the world that are in that same situation. And God, we pray that your people would step up, that we would that we would see Christ followers that would recognize the needs of these children, that we would uh, open up our hearts, open up our homes to be able to care well for them, to be able to provide for them, to be able to meet their needs. We pray that churches, God, would be a place where families that answer this call to ministry would would be welcomed, would be celebrated, would be supported, uh, that their needs would be met and they'd be cared for well. May we as your people, God, understand the needs of these vulnerable children around our country and around the world. And may we be willing to be your hands and feet, God, to meet these needs. You have promised that you would be the father of the fatherless. May we truly, God, surrender ourselves so that we might be the means by which you keep your word. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the ministry of Lifeline. I thank you for our supporters that enable us to continue to do what you have called us to do. May we be faithful to your word and to your truth, and we'll give you praise. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.